you got your Bibles, we are in Philippians chapter 2. We are talking today, of course, we, we've titled this whole piece, Gospel Impact. And the reason we did that is as believers, so often when we think gospel impact, we think about salvation. We think about the gospel coming, changing our lives, setting us free from sin, and certainly that is part of the gospel impact. But the reality is, is that the gospel continues to change us. The gospel continues to work in our hearts to make us more like Christ. And in this passage that we've been talking about, what it is that God is wanting to do and making us more like Jesus. Today, we're going to talk about humility. Humility. Now, humility is one of those pieces that really, to understand the culture that Paul was writing to, the Romans did not view humility as a, as a, a virtue. In fact, they saw it as a weakness. And especially in this town of Philippi, which is made up primarily of old retired soldiers who fought in the Roman army, uh, humility was something that was looked down upon. And as I was processing it this week, you know, one thought came to my mind is that in my lifetime, now I realize I'm getting a little older, so I've got a few miles behind me, but in my lifetime, I would say this is one of the biggest changes I've seen in our culture. When I was a kid, humility was still seen as a virtue. In fact, when people didn't act humbly, it, it used to cause waves. In fact, this will date me a little bit, but some of you will remember this. Uh, Super Bowl three. 1969, a guy by the name of Joe Willie Namath, Broadway Joe. Do you remember this? You know, the Jets, they were the, the big underdog. He's the quarterback for the Jets. And he says, we're going to win the Super Bowl. I guarantee it. It was a little arrogant in that day. And it made waves. About that same time, a guy known as Cassius Clay, also known as Muhammad Ali, came on the scene. And he created waves. You know why? Because... He didn't talk all that humbly. He always said, I say, I'm going to win the fight. Not only am I going to win the fight, I'm going to win it by knockout. And not only that, I'm going to pick the round that I knocked the guy out. Created waves. Now, you fast forward X number of years to where we are today. That doesn't seem like all that arrogant, right? In this day of trash talk and speak your mind and get in people's faces and say what you think and, and be aggressive, man, it just doesn't seem. And, and I would argue that today humility is really not seen as much of a virtue in our culture anymore. But as believers who are to live as citizens of heaven here, it is part of what God's trying to do in our life. So here we are, Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for your own interest, personal interest, but also for the interest of others. 
The first piece that Paul reminds them of is that they need to think humbly. Now, when we say think humbly, I want to be really clear. Thinking humbly does not mean thinking badly about yourself. Some have the idea that for me to be humble, I have to think of myself as a worm. You know, just some, you know, worm theology. Something bad about me, that I'm no good, that I'm not worth anything. And and so that exalts other people. That, no, 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 no. You know, Jesus was a humble guy, but Jesus knew exactly who he was, right? You remember John 13, he just washed the disciples' feet, and this is what he says. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so am I. He knew who he was. But if I then, the Lord and the teacher, wash your feet, you ought also to wash other people's feet. In fact, I would argue with you that the people who have the easiest time being humble are the people who knew, know who they are in Jesus. That I'm a person of value, that I'm a child of the king, that I'm an heir of God, a joint heir with Jesus, that I am loved, that I am chosen. But in that, I can think humbly. Because thinking humbly is not thinking bad about myself. In fact, really, humbly is just not thinking about myself. It's thinking about others. That's what humility is. And Paul even puts it more specifically. It's with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. Regard, think, count suppose that these people in my life are more important than to me. And so they are value. They deserve respect. They, they deserve importance in my life. And therefore, that's how I'm going to view them. That's how I'm going to see them. And as I was processing it this week, I, I couldn't help but think of my dad. Now, obviously, I, you know my story. My dad's passed away here in the last month. I've been thinking about him a lot. But the truth is, my dad is one of the most humble guys that I, I, I knew. Now, you kind of got to understand his humility by the, the world in which we live. We're, he is a pastor. I'm a pastor. And quite honestly, it probably shouldn't be this way. And it's probably not as bad today as it was 10, 20 years ago. But in our world, size matters. The bigger your ministry, the more value people look at you with. Part of the curse of my life is that I, you know, my dad grew things big. He just did. It was a giftedness. I mean, A, he was a gifted evangelist. A lot of people came to Christ under his ministry. Secondly, he was kind of a gifted, intuitive leader. He just always knew the right thing to say, the right thing. And so he took Youth for Christ in Detroit, which had 20 Bible clubs that met in high schools and 300 kids that would come on a Saturday night rally, and within five years, they have 120 Bible clubs in high schools, junior highs. 1,800 kids that would come to Saturday night rallies. From there, he moved and began to pastor, a, a, I would say, a small church, a church about 300. The truth is, there's only a town of 32,000, so it was a pretty good-sized church for that size town. And yet, within six years, it grew to 1,000. He took a church in Ohio, about 350, that was about ready to split. And again, not only the giftedness of evangelism, seeing people come to faith in Christ, but the giftedness of a leader and, and mended that split. And the church just exploded, grew to over 2,400 people. Largest church in the county, biggest Christian school, 130 acres. Just kind of a gifting. Came to Palmcroft 
up on the north side of town, 500, 550 people. Again, his gifting kicked in and began to grow, grew to over 2,200. But here was the peace. If anybody probably, and, and, and to be honest with you, I, I know people in those circles that grow, and man, you sometimes just, and that, my dad just wasn't that way. In fact, it was interesting, because in his ministry, he traveled, and he got opportunities, I mean, to do, you know, speak to crowds of 10,000 at a time, but you know, when he would come home, those were not the stories he told. The stories he told the stories that moved his heart were the stories of working with nationals who were doing ministry that nobody knew their name, but man, he was so touched by them serving God so faithfully. And back in the day before the Iron Curtain fell, was traveling back in and, and taking Bibles in and things and helping these, these pastors of these little underground churches. And he would just, he would come home and he would be so moved by their heart, their faithfulness in serving God. And that's why he would go back time and time again and risk again being thrown in jail, taking the Bibles and things in. But that was his heart. That was his heart. And, and then as I got into ministry and I got to travel with him to pastor's groups and, and honestly, you show up and here's the churches with the, you know, the, the big church pastors would sit over here and then who's everybody else? And man, my, my dad never went over there. In fact, he pastored the largest church in the association. But, and even now that I'm in leadership, you, yeah, I, these guys are older now, but they come and they say, Steve, it was your dad who just always would sit down, always ask how we were doing, never talked about what was going on at Palmcroft. He wanted to know how our heart was, how the ministry, what could he do to help us? That was his heart. Some of my favorite stories were as a kid uh, when we lived in Illinois because he had just gotten out of Youth for Christ, he had a lot of contacts, a lot of friends in the ministry. And so a lot of times on Saturday night, which before a Sunday, which by the way, uh, was not only preaching a couple times in the morning, but was coming back Sunday night preaching a different sermon. You know, people say, Steve, you got to preach four times on a weekend. It's a piece of cake. It's the same sermon, right? The, the guys 20 years ago, man, they had a Sunday sermon for Sunday morning, Sunday, another one for Sunday night, another one for Wednesday. I have no idea how they do it. And my dad would head out on Saturday night. A lot of times I got to go with him. And so often he would tell me the story of this guy, man, he's been laboring here for all these years and it's just been a difficult thing. In fact, he called me a few months back, was just discouraged. And I tried to give him a little encouragement, a little pep talk. I said, and I told him, hey, if you want me to come and do a rally, I'll come and do it. That's why we were going. And he would show up and you could just see as he began to minister to that guy and that encouragement. And, you know, sometimes there weren't 50 people there. But he would get up there and he would preach his heart just like he would if there were a thousand. That was his heart. Why? Because he had a heart of humility, folks. That's what we are called to do. To think of others as more important than us. To view them and their needs. This is what Peter says in 1 Peter 5. He says, you younger men likewise be subject to your elders. And all of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another. You see, this is the peace that brings unity. When I see you as more important than me. And we all view each other better than ourselves. And that's that peace that allows us now to hold one another in esteem. 
and that peace that brings unity. Humility chooses not to put ourselves in front of others. That's really the first part of verse 3. It's a negative. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. The word selfish is there. If I use the word electioneering, would you know what I meant? Electioneering is... uh, hey, look at me, vote for me. The other guy's terrible. I need your vote. I'm going to do all this for you. Look at me, look at me, look at me. It's all about me. That's kind of the sense of that word. In fact, if you remember back in chapter one, he talked about people preaching the gospel. Remember, some out of, out of love for the Lord, but others not so much. Verse 17, the former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition. It's the same word. It's that that, that sense of, look at me, look at me, it's all about me. This is what I'm bringing. And, and what Paul says is, listen, in humility, we don't put ourselves out there of, look at me. This isn't me trying to get ahead. This isn't me trying to get these prime positions. This is me looking at you and saying, you know what, you're more important than I am. How is it that I can serve you? So think humbly. But thinking humbly leads to acting humbly. That's verse 4. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Humility means that I look out, and because I value you, because I bring respect to you, I I lift you ahead of me, so now I see your needs. I actually take time to know what's going on in your life, what cares and concerns are are facing you. I I know the ones I got, but in humility, I want to know what are the ones that you have, and then I want to look at how in the world do I meet those needs? How do I get to be the hands and feet of Jesus here? In fact, thinking about that, think of John 13. Jesus is going to the cross. Do you think he had some heaviness on his heart? He's going to take our sin upon himself. Judas is going to betray him. Peter's going to deny him. All of that is on him. They show up at the upper room. It's a rented room. There's no servant there. They've gone all day. Nobody to wash the feet. Jesus in humility sees the need and now he meets the need. He takes off his outer garment. He takes a bowl. He takes a towel. He washes their feet. Humility means that we are to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. That we look for those those needs in other people's lives and how can I meet them? It isn't about me. It's like What's going on in your life and how can I serve you? By the way, folks, this is why humility is so important in marriage. As a husband, I am to think my wife more important than me. And so her needs, her cares, her concerns have got to be more important to me than mine. So husbands, can I ask you today, do you know what the number one heartfelt need of your wife is today? And if you do, what are you doing to meet that need? Wives, you are to view your husband as more important than yourself. You are to know those needs, those cares. Do you know his number one need today? And what are you doing? See, that's what brings unity into the home. It's what brings unity into the church. When we view others as more important, and now we act on it and say, how can I serve you? Again, I was blessed to grow up in a home that 
people that were not perfect, that's for sure, but acted humbly. And uh, because he was in the ministry, we, we never lived around family. We were always kind of off. My, my mom's family all come from Wichita, Kansas. My, my dad's family that we knew kind of from St. Louis. But we were never around family on holidays. And so we kind of knew what it was like to be the strays, you know, uh, not really have a place to go. And so what my folks did is they just kind of made it their ministry to kind of find the other strays, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll all eat together. In fact, I, I cannot remember a Thanksgiving, a Christmas Eve, or a Easter Sunday that we didn't have somebody else in our home. But they would look for, hey, who, who's new to the community? Who's here away from family? Or maybe their family has moved away and they're kind of left. Let's invite them in. It was just that heart of, hey, it's important. It's harder to have people, but you know what? They've got a need. This is going to be a hard holiday for them. Let's bring them in. <laughs> and then the one piece that was so cool that so few people knew about, but as my dad would travel and, and, and in his mission side, he primarily worked with nationals. You know, nationals are a great piece to world evangelization. So they come to know Christ and they're just serving the Lord there. They know the language, they know the culture. What they typically don't have is they don't have support. You know, they're just doing it on a wing and a prayer. And so it was coming alongside them and and uh, it was exciting to go in to see. And one of the things that you have to learn as an American, you know, we, our American mindset, we don't see this and we need to see this. And those of you that are going on a mission trip, we're going to talk about this. You can't just show up as an American and start handing out money to every need you see. You're going you're to mess the ministry up. You're going to hurt the ministry because they, A, need to depend upon Jesus and not upon you. You got to be wise in this. And so he, he he would go into these places and he would know that, but there was something that always stirred his heart. And it wasn't the man or, or the couple doing the ministry. It was the, the wife and the mom who was not only doing all the ministry, but taking care of the home and taking care of the kids. And you could tell typically the very humble things that she, she had around her and often the way she addressed it. Every last cent went into the ministry she just didn't have. And, and so my dad kind of got into this, this rhythm where he started taking nice, crisp, brand new $50 bills. And he didn't want anybody to know, but typically, you know, he didn't speak the language. So he would pull the translator away. And, and, and I got to watch this oftentimes that, you know, the group would be together and they would all be together and they would kind of move over here. And he would pull the wife and the translator aside and just said, you know, I just want you to know how important you are to the Lord. And the reason he knew this was, by the way, he was getting to travel because his wife was home taking care of us, right? And you, you just, your heart here, and, and I know that, you know, it's hard. But I want to give this, and he never said it was from, from him. He always said, this is from our church back in the States. But we want you to have this. And here's the, the only stipulation. You can't give this to the ministry, and you can't spend this on the husband and on the kids. This is for you. And if you want to go get a new dress, you want to do whatever you want to do, this is just for you. 
The funny thing is I knew he did this, but I would get so caught up in what was going on, I wouldn't be paying any attention. I'd look over, oh yeah, there he is, there's he doing it. But that's the heart of humility. It's, it's seeing others as more important than seeing the need and how can I meet that need? And that's the beauty of what God has called us to do. It's exactly, in fact, next week we're gonna talk about the great example of this is who? Jesus, who left the glories of heaven to come and to meet our need. Now here's the thing about humility. Humility does not mean that we don't have cares and concerns too. We all do, right? If we were to sit down, we all got those things in our life that are heavy upon us. But what humility says is that because I see you as more important, I'm going to lift your needs, your cares, your concerns ahead of mine. Now, that doesn't make mine go away. But I'll tell you what it will do is it lifts the burden. Because I'm not so now so enraptured in what's going on in my life and how bad things are here, but it's how can I serve? In fact, one of our five-year goals, not only 1250, but it's a 65% of our people would serve at least twice a month. Why? Well, because when you serve, when you see others' needs and you get out and do that, man, it just makes your life better because it lifts your eyes off of what's going on in your life and, and helps you to become the hands and feet of Jesus. You start getting excited about that. And then you'll start seeing God's faithfulness in meeting those needs in your life. I got to hurry. One quick point. This may not apply to you. It applies to me. Humility also means that we allow people to minister to us. I got to be honest, I like being somebody who serves others. I'm really good in that role. I like it, right? I can bring it. I feel good about myself, maybe even a little pride every once in a while, which doesn't work with humility. Humility says that I'm also letting people come and speak into my life and meet my needs to see those things on the outside and come and, and to bring, that's hard for me. Maybe hard for you. But that's important. It's important for them to do what God has told them to do. It's humility. It's humility. Let me finish with this. Folks, humility is a choice. You know, this idea, well, I'm just not that humble of a guy, doesn't cut it. None of us probably are left to ourselves. What we're called to do is to become like Jesus, right? Don't forget the context of this passage. It goes back to chapter 1, verse 27, where he says, you know, that, that we are to live here different. We are to live as citizens of heaven. And the citizenship of heaven is a citizenship of humility. It's one of unity. In fact, we looked at that at verse 2 yesterday. That we would be of the same mind, had that same mindset shaped by the gospel, maintaining the same love, being the hands and feet of Jesus, united in spirit, that we're family, we're in this together. And how we do that is we do that through humility. James says, hey, where do your fights come? Where your divisions come from, <laughs> don't they come from within you? The selfishness, your own pleasures. Folk, we are called to live united. We're called to reflect the character of God, his oneness to our world. How do we do that? Humility. Humility, where we see others as more important than ourselves. This is the quick character quality of Jesus. 
Jesus, who's the son of God, the creator of all things. And yet, do you know that the one who created all things allowed other people to support him during his time here? Jesus said this in Matthew 11, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in spirit. That's what we are called to do. We are called to humility. Do you remember what James says? James says he gives great, more grace. God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's why two verses later he says this, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord God and he will exalt you. Peter puts it like this, to sum up all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. Folks, this is what we are called to do. To walk in humility. And if we are going to live in unity as a church, we have got to live in humility. We have got to see others and each other is more important than ourselves. We've got to see others' needs and cares and concerns is more important than us. You, want, you got problems in your home? It's probably because you're not living in humility. You got problems with your spouse? It's probably because you're not seeing them as more important than you. You're not seeing their needs as more important than your needs. There's conflict between you and brother in Christ. It's probably because you're not acting humbly. This is what we are called to do. Humility is the thing that brings unity.